it's our greatest privilege now to look to God's word, and I would invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 3, continuing the series that y'all are currently in, working through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, our text this morning are the first 13 verses. Listen to God's word coming to us from Ephesians 3 and verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized In Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, our greatest moments in this life are whenever we realize by your grace just how much we need you every hour. And we could not need you more than whenever we come before your word and seek to understand it and seek to see Jesus there. So give us eyes of faith, Father, that we could see our need and meet our need in Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I had chosen Habakkuk chapter 3, a sobering chapter especially for a bit of a celebration. This is much of a celebration, isn't it? We're 
finally back inside, and here's this missionary guy wanting to read Habakkuk chapter 3. I think Habakkuk chapter 3 is a very beautiful passage to kind of set the context of what's going on in Ephesians 3. For a really beautiful reason, you see, you see a prophet that is really caught in a struggle. Everything's gone wrong. And he calls out to the Lord, are you going to do anything? And the Lord says, yeah, things are going to get worse. And so he's caught in this struggle of, how could that be? We're your people. You said you loved us. And so he's brought to this low place where he's, he's on one hand, he's feeling the weight of the sorrows and the troubles and the challenges. But on the other hand... He's wrestling to hold on to the promise that God will be faithful. He's trying to hold on to joy in the God of his salvation and and hope of salvation. There have been times, Habakkuk chapter 3, I'm not much of a Facebook guy, but if I ever post anything, I always posted things like, Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19. It's very easy, I think, in places whenever things are well to kind of, whenever troubles kind of seem hypothetical, to, to quote with liberty, though the fig tree should not blossom, though No fruit be on the vine, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice. I love to think of myself that way. This has been a difficult year. Our our frustrated plans, deeper levels of depression and anxiety. I've lost family members. Perhaps some of you have. We've been isolated. We've been kept away from people we would have Love to have been by their side while they were walking through sorrows. And Habakkuk 3 rings a different bell for me now. I, though the fig tree should not blossom, though we not be able to worship indoors, though all of our vacation plans be thwarted, And we'd be forced to wear masks. And much of our society driven to a corner of fear. Can my heart still rejoice in the Lord, the rock of my salvation? Can I find joy in him? In many ways, this pandemic has really brought out some dark corners of me. Things that 
while things were normal, it, it's been pretty easy to hold back and kind of keep under the surface, stay busy enough that these things don't come forth. What has this pandemic been like for you? Our hearts ebb and flow, at times trusting, at times filled with doubts and with worries. And whenever Warren and I were talking the other a couple of weeks ago about my coming to preach, potentially, I jumped at the opportunity. I love, I love opportunities to preach. And uh, I had a few that I'd already prepared. And then he said, I'd love to have you continue the series. It's like, oh, no. I haven't preached from Ephesians before. And, um, and I'm here to tell you, I am so thankful for Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. I needed the gospel comforts that flow from this passage, especially as we think about the difficulties we've been in, um, as we continue to move forward, we start to process what was all of that about, Father? I think this is such a beautiful text um, to process these things. And my, my aim in this hour is to share some of the, the comforts that I've had. And the, the biggest thing that I want to leave you guys with is I want to show you how I've experienced God meeting me in my, in my sufferings with gospel comfort and how that calls us out into mission. There are two main sections I'm going to try to do this with. Okay, so verses 1 through 6, we see a gospel mystery. And then verses 7 through 13, a gospel mission. This gospel mystery. This text is really an amazing passage for a number of reasons. Sometimes I feel like I relate to Paul more than others. Um, even on the way over here, Judy was trying to tell me something, and as I was um, listening to her, a rabbit jumped down the road, and I, verbally, I was like, oh, a rabbit. She's like, ADD. Um, <laughs> Paul starts this passage, and mid-sentence stops, and doesn't come back to it till chapter 4. Okay, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and his mind goes in a completely different direction. And it almost comes back in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And then he's wrapped up in prayer and thinking about the glory of Christ and all that God the Father is doing through Jesus and the power at work within us, his spirit. And then in chapter 4, he picks back up again finally. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. And he continues. It's almost as if he was about to say, in light of all we've seen in chapters 1 and 2, the power of the gospel that has brought us to newness of life, we've been built into a new temple in God to love and to serve and to worship him. In light of all of these things that he's, he's unfolded for us, let us therefore live a life consistent with the grace that we've been called, that we've been shown. Let us live a life in keeping with the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection. Let us live a life that shows forth our adoption as sons and daughters. It's the mention of his sufferings. It's the mention of what he's suffering 
for the Gentiles that runs him in a different direction. And he's not like me, just, oh, a rabbit. This is no rabbit trail. This adds everything to what he will then build to and go on to cover in chapter 4. But it's as he considers his, his bonds, his prison's chains, that something even greater captivates his attention. So what is that? And it's, it's this stewardship that's been given to him. It's God's grace that had been given to him. And it's a ministry that he has for the Gentiles. So we can understand even the mention of the Gentiles makes his mind go wild at God's grace toward him. We remember Paul's own account in Acts chapter 22. Whenever he was arrested after the Jews wrongly accused him of bringing a Gentile to the temple and therefore defiling it. And the charge was that he had brought no one else but Trophimus. Okay, he was a Gentile. And furthermore, an Ephesian. A man from Ephesus to whom Paul is writing now. And so Paul finally gets his chance to explain himself in chapter 21 and the thing that he's so passionate about, the very thing that is so offensive to the Jews is the fact that Jesus revealed himself to him and said, go far away for I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And part of the the marvel and the wonder of chapter 2 was that Christ in his body broke down the dividing wall of hostility, making one new humanity, Jew and Gentile alike, in him. And so Paul is thinking about God's marvelous grace that he has showered upon him, that he entrusted him this charge to, to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is what makes his mind go in a completely different direction It's as if he's saying, now, let me make sure you understand the mystery of the gospel. And there are many mysteries in the Linner house. I mentioned we have five children, and the the daily mystery, recurrent mystery, is, Daddy, where are my shoes? And that is no small question, because let me tell you, the shoes will be in a different place every time. This mystery that Paul's talking about is not an unknown wonder. This is something that has been graciously and marvelously revealed in Jesus. And Paul is not only going to tell you what the mystery is, he's going to show you an up-close, let's, let's look at this mystery under a microscope, and then let's step back and let's look at this mystery from the grand view, a telescopic view, if you will, of what is this mystery of the gospel. And first we see this up close view in verse 6 where he says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We are together heirs, together members, together promise receivers. This is our gospel identity. I wonder 
as we think about, I, I introduced this, thinking about the pandemic, and I want us to keep that in our mind as you've navigated the, the arguments, the, the struggles, the frustrations, the temptations. Has the beauty of this gospel reality faded in your mind? As waves of struggle, difficulty, and yet another month of, of COVID, and another month, have you grown numb to the beauty of the gospel? Well, I want to just slow down for a minute. I would even ask you, if you were to put a word, describe this, this last year, what word would you put on it? You had to use a metaphor. What, what has this season been like? How would you describe 2020? And don't even have to restrict it to 2020. I mean, 2020 is not the only year with troubles, right? But I mean, 2020 has been particularly hard. How would you describe that? I want to think a minute while we're, we have the mystery under the microscope. Together airs. That's why in verse 11 of chapter 2, he says, Remember at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. If you take time to remember that, I bet we would all be moved to tears. Just to stop and think for a moment, brothers and sisters, we are heirs. We were children of wrath. We hated him. And we've been adopted into his family. In chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I, didn't get, I have not been able to benefit from all of the successive series, so I'm going to go everywhere, okay? Um, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, he wanted you in his family. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. And so verse 11, indeed, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We are together heirs. We are together members of the same body. In Christ, we are part of a new humanity. Chapter 2, verse 14, though we were once separated from Christ, Jesus himself is our peace, and he has made us, both Jew and Gentile, one, breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace. And we are together Receivers of the promise. My mind runs immediately to Abraham. And I believe what Paul is telling us here is that in Jesus, this promise is made yours. Through Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. That is ours in Jesus. Again, to go back to the very opening of this letter, 
Paul sings the praise of this reality in chapter 1, verses 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so here we have this mystery of this gospel, this, this glorious gospel identity under the microscope. Isn't this glorious? Isn't that amazing? The tragedy is at times it seems just like familiar news. It seems quite cold and distant. It seems like my, my present reality and context tells me everything to the contrary. I don't feel like a loved child. I feel neglected. But oh, that we would have faith. To, to, to place, to, that we would have grace to place our hope in the promises that we have in Jesus. And so we have this telescopic view, and if, as we work back through the, the passage, as we continue to work our way down, Paul then says, but I'm not done with that mystery of the gospel. It's glorious from up close, but look at it from eternity. And so he's, he backs us up in verse 9. Here we see the mystery is no afterthought. Look at, look at what he says. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then skip down to verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our salvation is no afterthought. This mystery now revealed in Jesus is something that has always been on his mind. And so in verse 5, this is where he's talking about it was not made known in other generations. It was his, it was his will to, over time, increasingly um, re- lift the veil until, lo and behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what we see is this gospel mystery is no trivial matter. It's not something that we just talk about every week and we, get, we should get familiar with it and kind of just falls on deaf ears. This gospel mystery is the very key for understanding all of the sorrows, all of our trials, all of our sufferings. And the key is Jesus. And so while Paul would have us see the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished in dying for us and by his grace making us heirs and together members and together receivers of all the promises of God in him, he wouldn't have us for a moment miss the the beauty of the reality that our redemption, our inclusion, our salvation has eternally been on his mind. Isn't that incredible? And this is what's been given to me and given to you in Christ through the gospel. So what does this have to do with 
What does this have to do with suffering? Well, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Paul is writing this heartwarming reminder of all that we have in Jesus as soon as he thinks about the fact he's in prison. To the contrary, I believe it was as Paul was called to go through deep trials and sufferings that it was in those contexts that he learned most deeply that in my weaknesses Christ's strength is made perfect. Trials and sufferings are frequently used to expose idols of our heart. My idols are commonly those things that I look to to define me, to give me some type of value, some type of merit or credit in the sight of God. Especially ways that I might be able to impress you guys. Recently I was warned that um, whenever we visit churches and share our heart for Spain, we need to be aware that there are one of two extreme lenses through which we can be viewed, okay? One is the beggar that couldn't really seem to make out a living here in the States like a normal person, so he's seen fit to go church to church to ask other people for money so that he can live in another country. Another one might be that people might view you as some type of spiritual giant, and the Lord has been so impressed with your unique giftedness and spiritual ability that he has seen fit to call you forth to be an example to the nations. I want you to know when I heard that, I laughed. And, and as I share that with you, one of the things that we have really loved about our relationship with, with Ambassador Presbyterian Church is I have always felt that Paul's category, one of partnership in the gospel has defined our relationship. I've never really been led to believe that you have been so baffled by my unique giftedness that I just have to be out there. Nor have I been treated like a pauper. But I've been invited to come with you to this table. But through this pandemic, I realized a very uncomfortable truth. I had created a third category. I finished seminary in 2013. Since that time, my wife and I have been involved in foreign missions in one way or another. We have been pursuing the field or living overseas. Over the years, we have moved a lot. We've transitioned a lot. We've given up a lot. We've worked really hard at learning a new language and as a Mississippi boy in particular, worked very hard at assimilating into Spanish culture. And this created within me a very scary reality. At the beginning of this pandemic, and again, brothers and sisters, you've all walked with us through this so that you may have, you're already aware most likely of Owen's burn this pandemic started for us with tragedy. COVID was not the scare. Our son, who loves to climb, climbed up onto a stovetop and burned the surface of both of his hands. He was hurting very badly. I was feeling very helpless. But I remember in that moment, um, he's fine now. Every time I share this story, I always 
I have people come to me afterwards, like, is he okay? Like, okay, he's in the nursery. You can see him. Um, But in that moment, I remember the panic. I remember holding him in my arms and pacing in the yard, telling him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, buddy. But in my heart, I was furious. God's sovereignty seemed so clumsy to me. He seems so distant. If he's so loving as he promises, why in the world would he let this happen? Look at everything we've given. That was the cry of my heart. Look at what we've suffered. Now, how was that my father reaching out to me with gospel love in that moment. I did not know it until that moment that there was, I had made an idol out of my strivings. The more I gave and the more I endured, the more I felt I had privileged status before my heavenly father. And so in that moment, I came face to face with this awful reality. I had begun to act. If you were to look back at this this mystery of the gospel revealed, this was John's version. I am a child of God, a member of the body, a receiver of the promise in Jesus, not by faith, but by my track record of obedience. Look at what I've suffered. Look how deserving we are. We've gone around the globe in obedience to Jesus' call. And what was he telling me in that moment? It's not what you've done, child. And it's not what you suffered. It's what Jesus has done. And it's what he has suffered. Paul is even more emphatic on this point. In verse 12, this is the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. There's your confidence. There's your boldness before the Father. It's Jesus. It's so critical that we see that. And if your heart's not warmed by that, you will never be called out into mission. You have no message to declare. But it's this very foundation of the mystery that was revealed in Jesus that, be, that becomes Paul's, Paul's call, if you will. This thing that compels him forth into mission. And so let's look at verses 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Grace was given to Paul for grace to be shared. Grace was given to you and to me for that grace to be shared. And that grace, everything that we find in Jesus, Paul's words for this, he describes it as unsearchable riches. I love, I would love to tell you that I have retained an an amazing, immaculate ability with um, the Greek languages to read them devotionally. I have not, but I do still love to look through the text for these It's almost like nuggets of gold. There's some words that are just so weighty. And the word used here for unsearchable literally means fathomless. There is no ocean floor to the riches that are found in Jesus. I think Paul marvelously illustrates this point. Because if I were to tell you, okay, imagine whenever, maybe you can think back. Some of you can remember when you came to know the Lord Jesus for the first time. You saw the gospel. You saw your need for Jesus and how he satisfied your need and how he covered all your sins and gives you all of his righteousness. That flood of joy, that flood of jubilation. I don't usually use that word, but it's when I'm standing here. Um, but that, that overwhelming sense of the love of the Father, if you were to describe at that point, what is the gospel? It would be marvelous, it would be heartfelt, but have you been struck as you've gone through Ephesians 1 and 2? I've been reading over Ephesians, trying to get ready to to preach this passage, trying to get familiar with the letter again. Have you been struck I never would have dreamed that the gospel was so rich as chapter 1. Or is so selfless and persistent as chapter 2. He's already uncovered so much more than we ever could have imagined would be true about the gospel. Okay? And here he's saying the unsearchable riches, the, the, there is no ocean floor to the riches of Jesus. And I love the way he, he pushes this point all the way home and the way he finishes chapter 3. I told you I was going to jump everywhere. 20, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. To him who's able to do far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. Brothers, I read that. It's like Paul is saying, 
everything we've uncovered in chapter 1, he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He's predestined us not just to be made right with him, but to be adopted into his own family because it was his great longing to shower upon you all of his glorious grace. Even though you were an enemy and you hated him, he loved you and gave you a new heart and called you into this beautiful fellowship and union with him. All of that is only the tip of the iceberg of what he has for you in Jesus. We haven't even come close to understanding the unsearchable riches of Jesus. It's as if he's saying, the riches to be found in knowing Jesus are as deep as the Father's desire to accomplish your salvation is wide. I think that's a love that can take on your suffering. It can handle your honesty. I needed that this week. I needed it this morning. I do not have a hope of sharing the love of Jesus with you or my children or my family, or my neighbor, if I am more convinced that they need the gospel, that you need the gospel, more than I do. And we see this in Paul's humility here. His call to the Gentiles to come to Jesus is not a call just for them to come to Jesus. Paul is saying, I am going to Jesus, will you come with me? Come with me. You hear it in his language. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of his grace which was given to me by the working of his power. I was not worthy of this. I was the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to me. Isn't that amazing? Paul, he hated Gentiles. He rejoiced at the at the persecution of the church. And the Lord changed his heart and humbled him in the gospel. And now he calls it his greatest privilege to go and proclaim the grace given to me is the grace that's given to you. Will you come? This grace that's been given, this, this message that been, we've been called to proclaim is is given to the church. And there's a very interesting text. I wasn't wasn't expecting to see this. There's one little phrase. At first, I didn't know what to do with it because I don't really naturally think about the heavenly realm. Okay, But I don't know if you noticed this phrase. Look at this. In verse 9, we are called to, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Why? So that through the church, you and me, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. That's to say, the redemption that he's working in my heart, the redemption that he's working in your heart, what he's doing in this room and around the world is not something just to be um, beheld by us as, as brothers and sisters of Christ. This is cosmic redemption. The, what he's doing in the world, this message of salvation by grace through faith, is, ones that, is, is one that makes angels sing forth in praise and demons tremble. So as we start to pull this, try to tie this off now, what was your word? You're thinking about 2020. You're thinking about the pandemic. Maybe it's an image. Maybe you're more artistic. Maybe you have a metaphor. What was this season like for you? It's this message of hope and this message of gospel identity that causes Paul to draw a very different conclusion than mine. Not assuming that yours is negative. Maybe you had a very positive one. Maybe you're the glass is half full type and we have the glass. You know, um, He calls this um, the unfolding of his plan his manifold wisdom. And again, this is one of those words that's just packed with meaning. It literally means multicolored. And I was trying to um, think of how, how to, and to illustrate that, and I forgot that y'all have had this here as long as I've ever been coming to this church. I don't know the story behind this rug here, um, but, uh, but the manifold wisdom of God, the multicolored wisdom of God, the word could be used to describe a tapestry. Something God is weaving together with great, great skill and precision. Um, everything is packed with meaning. Nothing is just random, okay? And so, how could Paul call this manifold wisdom? Again, remember, he's in jail. Well, I would, just to illustrate it very quickly... Paul would have us to know that there is such loving wisdom and purpose in the sufferings that come from the hand of his Father that his readers here at Ephesus and especially in um, Philippi, I'm about to quote something from Philippians, that they could be sure that his weaknesses and sufferings we're actually promoting the gospel more than a, continua, a continuously successful mission. I think so many times, I think if things would just go according to plan, this would be so much more efficient. You know, I'm, I'm the efficient type, and I love to be able to, at the end of the day, show all just what I've accomplished. But listen to his words to us, Paul's words to us from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me, my imprisonment, 
has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And furthermore, most of the brothers have also become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. And so they are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I think if Paul, if I could put, I don't think I'm putting words in Paul's mouth. Y'all tell me at lunch. If he were to describe 2020, I think he does so right here in this verse. I think he would say, manifold wisdom. What a peculiar way to describe such suffering. What an odd way to describe Paul's imprisonment. Could you and I describe the loss of loved ones? Children's injuries, frustrated plans, seasons of depression, anxiety. Is the manifold wisdom of God? How could he do that? It almost seems insensitive, doesn't it? It's because the multicolored wisdom of God through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, um, it's it's. His masterfully working all of these things to expose our idols and to bring us closer to the heart of Jesus and to do this all to his glory. It's part of how he he continues to bring us together in Christ. And so Paul ends this passage here. I believe this is the very reason why he's saying, I know that you're seeing my sufferings and your temptation here is to lose heart over what I'm suffering. And I wish I could be more familiar with with each of your situations this morning, and I don't know what trials and temptations you've been walking through. Perhaps your temptation this morning is to lose heart. But Paul's message to us is don't lose heart. How do we do that? By hooking our faith into Jesus into our gospel identity, preaching the gospel to ourselves and remembering anew, beloved, we are together heirs, together members, together promise receivers, not by what you've suffered, not by your long list of obedience, but by faith. And it is this, this faith, this as we, as we navigate the, the sufferings and the trials, it becomes like a, a, a purifying process that draws our hearts to Jesus. It invites us to come to him, and as we come to him, propels us out into the world with the very same message. I'm broken too. I'm hurting too. Jesus is making all things new. Would you come? Amen. Father, that is our heart's desire. So often we would love to quickly run from the difficulties and the suffering. But by your grace, Father, you have led us into suffering that we might find true satisfaction. And I pray we would find that this morning in Jesus, even as we prepare our hearts to fellowship 
with the Lord's Supper. So, Father, continue to meet with us and minister to us now in our weaknesses. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.